Where did the coronavirus come from? Did it originate from an animal like a bat? Or was it the result of an accidental laboratory leak? To make sense of this, I am once again joined by Umer Irfan, a science reporter who covers the pandemic at Vox. We discuss the origins of the pandemic, the scientific consensus surrounding it, and the way that mainstream news outlets have handled the situation. All right, Umer Irfan, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come back onto the podcast again. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, so to begin, since we we're explaining the lab leak theory, you mentioned on today explained that the lab leak theory's roots came from the SARS outbreak in 2003. Would you mind elaborating on that to the members of the audience who may not be familiar with it? Well, that was one of the uh, major coronavirus outbreaks in recent memory, and that was one that had a lot of similarities to this. And so similarly, we didn't really know where that virus came from. And in that uncertainty, there were a number of different theories that cropped up as to where it originated. So in the initial days, you know, people did suspect that there was a zoonotic origin, that it may have come from an animal, but there were also theories floating around that it may have been the result of an experiment because a virus like this had not been seen before. Later on, you know, after the pandemic had faded away, people had been able to, scientists had been able to trace the origins of it and were able to confirm that it was a zoonotic disease that, you know, one of the, uh, the vectors was, was civet cats, but uh, that took time. And, you know, before they were able to get those answers, there were a number of other theories and uh, things that could probably be classified as conspiracy theories about where that virus came from. And so I think we're seeing echoes of that now because we still have a great deal of uncertainty about the origins of the current SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and we may not get an answer for a very long time. Yep, that is entirely correct. And we definitely may not get an answer in a very long time. Um, so the episode of Today Explained that I'm referencing mentioned that the lab leak theory originally sounded too conspiratorial to be true, but it was now getting a second look. So would you mind um, walking the audience through the way that the lab leak theory was initially handled and how things have changed? Yeah, so when that first came out, I mean, I think part of it was that the promotion of the lab leak theory, particularly in 2020 and earlier on in the pandemic, was very closely tied to politics. You know, you had particularly members of the U.S. government and the Trump administration at the time eager to shift the blame for the handling of the pandemic towards China. And so there were a lot of allegations, some hand-waving and so on, basically saying that actually this pandemic is the fault of the Chinese government, that there's a cover-up and that they were either mishandling viral samples or were actively involved in, you know, gain of function research or other kinds of dangerous viral research. Now, at that point, there was no evidence for that. And there still is no evidence for any of those claims. But a lot of scientists in response to those um, allegations and those, you know, the tinge of political theater there, they responded pretty aggressively saying that pretty emphatically, a group of them, that this was most likely a zoonotic origin disease. And some um, researchers since then have uh, said that it might be a bit premature because some other details have come out in the intervening months and basically the year since the dawn of the pandemic that showed that there were some irregularities in and around Wuhan, China, where the virus was initially detected, and also at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was studying coronaviruses at the time. 
Now, uh, again, a lot of this evidence is circumstantial. Um, I mean, some people would even hesitate to even call it evidence. It's more of we don't, there are gaps in which a potential lab leak could emerge, but uh, some researchers are taking it a little bit more seriously and they've been troubled by some of the things that they've learned from the laboratory at this point. But again, a lab leak is an extraordinary claim. And as the saying goes, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And we haven't yet met that threshold just yet. All right. Yeah. So there are definitely many different arguments relating to the idea that SARS-CoV-2 originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And of course, some of these are more reasonable than others. So you talked a little bit on today, explained about how in the early days of the pandemic, Republican figures like Tom Cotton and Mike Pompeo were the ones who were touting the idea that SARS-CoV-2 originated from a lab. You mentioned that during those times, a lot of the different theories got collapsed into one from people who were trying to shift the blame of the pandemic onto China. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit more? Sure, I can speak to that. Uh, so yeah, as I was just saying that, you know, there it's really hard to disentangle the politics of this from the science. And that's really been making this discussion really difficult. And also, yes, there are multiple theories here. And so there everything ranging from this may have been a simple accident to this was actually a secret bioweapons program. And, um, you know, it's really hard to figure out, you know, who is advocating for what and what, what the actual case is there. And that's part of why the response around this has been so fraught. So there have been scientists who've been very keen on pushing back on the politics of this, basically saying that, you know, that, um, you know, they respect their Chinese counterparts, that they've been working with researchers in China on these coronaviruses for a long time, and that a lot of these uh, allegations are tinged with xenophobia um, and, and racism, frankly. But uh, at the same time, though, there have been some troubling reports coming out of China, both um, on the lack of information, the lack of transparency around the earliest days of the pandemic, but also some uh, little bits of uh, circumstantial uh, evidence that seem to show that there may have been more going on there that uh, we don't know about. So um, would you consider it reasonable to say that like certain Republican figures collapse different theories into one, and then the response from certain mainstream news outlets was to take that collapsing at face value and treat many of those theories with the same broad brush. I think it's, um, I mean, I don't, I hesitate to be very categorical about this. I mean, I think different media outlets handled this differently, but there was sort of, you know, a, a condensation of, all the theories and all the actors into one and then a pushback against that uniform thing. So things like the allegation that this was a bioweapon, which was basically one of the most far-fetched theories, was also you know, grouped together with uh, the idea that this may have just been a laboratory accident or just simply that the Chinese government was not completely transparent about when the disease originated and that they cost some valuable time in terms of the response to it. So uh, there was, again, also something of a reflexive pushback, I think, among some scientists, among some media outlets. But, you know, this uh, allegation never really went away. And as more information came in or as, you know, the Chinese government continued to stall and thwart efforts to probe the earliest days of the pandemic, I think uh, some people started giving credence to the idea that there may be more going on here than we may have realized initially. Okay, um, so you mentioned on Today Explained that like the more reasonable 
version of the lab leak theory doesn't impute any kind of malice or any kind of more sinister effect on the part of the Chinese government. Um, so if the virus did uh, leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, would that suggest that the Chinese government knew about its origins, like the pandemic's origins? It's hard to say because again, like there's a, there, those are two different things, like where, where the virus came from and who knew what and when. And it's not clear that, you know, anybody knew what was going on. You know, that may be part of the reason that, you know, a lab leak went undetected is because, you know, monitoring standards were so lax. Now that there's no evidence, again, that that was the case. You know, there's no evidence that the Wuhan Institute had the SARS-CoV-2 virus at the laboratory or even a precursor to it. The closest thing anybody can say is that this was a laboratory that studied coronaviruses, that some of which originated in bats. So uh, there had that link, and that's a very important link, has never really been established. And that's part of why it's really hard to impute any kind of motive here as to what was going on. So, uh, you know, the, like I said, the simplest answer here is maybe that this, of the lab leak theories is that this was just an accident and laboratory accidents are things that have happened before. But every laboratory accident we've seen where, where viruses escaped the lab has been documented. You know, this is something, these were all viruses that we knew about. These, we've never seen a never before seen virus enter into circulation from a laboratory. That's something that has never happened before and something that left literally no trail, no documentation, no evidence uh, is something that has never happened before either. Okay. Um, switching back to um, some of the way that some of the ways that the lab leak hypothesis was handled initially, would you consider it reasonable to say that back in the early days of the way that the lab leak theory was floated around, there were scientists who did believe that the virus leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but were afraid of speaking up because they thought that they might get labeled as a conspiracy theorist. I mean, again, you're asking me to, to speculate as to people's motives, and I can't really say. I mean, I don't think I've heard anybody articulate that specific point that they didn't speak out last year because they were afraid of being labeled racist. Rather, it's just that the, uh, you know, the evidence that has trickled out or the lack thereof has has kind of allowed these other ideas to take root. You know, again, the big thing is that when the World Health Organization sent teams to China, they did not get the full records from the laboratory that they requested and that follow-up visits were uh, scrapped. And basically a lot of people read into that, that basically the Chinese government was trying to cover things up. Now, it could be that they were covering up the full extent of the pandemic, that maybe it was worse there than they had originally let on. But um, it's really hard to disentangle that from the idea that this is also this that could also be a cover up for this originating from a laboratory. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to say, you know, if anybody was holding back on this. But it is true that many scientists early on were pretty vocal, saying that they're pretty that they're quite certain that this was a zoonotic origin virus. And uh, many of them did, you know, put their chips down there. And some of them have since walked it back. OK, Um so recently, or at least relatively recently, there's been a paper published in the scientific journal Cell titled The Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which you mentioned in one of your articles on Vox. Um, so um, both in your um, guest appearance in Today Explained and the paper, the, it's mentioned that there is, no, there is no scientific evidence for the lab leak theory. 
but um, you sort of come to slightly different conclusions than the paper in that um, you say that even if there's no evidence, the possibility that there is that it did leak from a lab means that we need to like, basically focus more on preventing lab leaks in the future. Whereas in the paper, it says it's highly unlikely and we should mostly focus on like dealing with the consequences and of like a zoonotic origin and making sure stuff like this doesn't happen from that end. So would you say that you had access to different scientific evidence or were you simply coming to a different conclusion? I don't think that the paper actually comes to a different conclusion. I mean, I think they, they also emphasize that, you know, laboratory integrity is an important principle that, you know, you should still have all these kinds of precautions, particularly when dealing with these highly contagious viruses. And there have been scientists who are, uh, you know, opposed to the lab leak theory or don't give it much credence, but who also say that the Wuhan Institute of Virology could have been doing more and it could have been engaged in better precautions, you know, particularly around the biosafety level, the level of containment they were using around these kinds of viruses. Some researchers say that the, the way they were handling this, uh, these kinds of viruses was not ideal. So those don't nece aren't necessarily exclusive. You know, you can still be uh, weighing in and saying that a natural origin is the far more likely possibility, but also saying that the possibility of a lab leak is a, you know, is a possibility that should be taken seriously enough that we take precautions against it. Those things are not necessarily exclusive. And that's what I heard from researchers as well, even the ones who are um, opposed to a lab leak theory and, and highlight that there's no evidence for it. They, they will still say that, you know, laboratory integrity is a problem, is, a, is an issue that should be taken seriously. All right, um, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... So back in May, uh, Vox issued a clarification for one of their articles, which I'm going to quote right now. Um, Since this piece was originally published in March 2020, scientific consensus has shifted. Now some experts say that the lab leak theory warrants an investigation along with the natural origin theory. So when it says that um, the scientific consensus has shifted, is it saying that new scientific evidence has come to light in favor of the lab leak theory? Or is it saying that more scientists have become comfortable with saying that they believe in it? I mean, I think to, it's, it's really hard to, to thread the needle here to explain what's going on. But like uh, what's really happened is that I think a lot of scientists think not necessarily that they believe in the lab leak theory, but that they, that it was premature to rule it out or that it's a possibility that deserves to be investigated if only to rule it out. And that uh, assuming as a natural origin may have been a bit premature. And, and again, for the reasons that we were discussing that basically that there's been a lack of transparency around the early days of the pandemic, that there were some circumstantial concerns that, you know, basically that this virus was found in a city that's thousands of miles away from its natural reservoir. So uh, there's been a lot of uh, other, you know, potential ways that this virus could have originated that scientists say that you know have to be fully eliminated you know that is the process of how this kind of research works you probe different possibilities and you systematically eliminate them until you're left with what's the only one that you can't eliminate and that's how you come up with you know the possible chain of transmission and that's what they did with the original SARS-CoV-2 virus and so I it's it's again really hard to disentangle and really hard to separate who is saying what because there are some scientists that do genuinely believe that this originated from the a laboratory or or think that it's a possibility while there are others who say it's still a very low possibility but should be ruled out in a more systematic and scientific fashion and so the, those two things kind of get lumped together and it's uh, really hard to figure out uh 
you know exactly how to do that and also just to uh to make sure who is uh what what their official positions are on these issues yeah i guess you are right in that it is hard to disentangle um so you you wrote a piece on vox um explaining one of the things that we can learn about the lab leak hypothesis which i'm going to quote right now yet to prevent the next pandemic scientists don't need a definitive answer about the genesis of COVID-19. Regardless of how corona, the coronavirus outbreak started, researchers say the world urgently needs to do more to prevent both lab leaks and so-called spillover infections from animals. Tracing the root of the virus is an important scientific question, but countries can and should take steps to reduce these risks now, even without a final answer. All right, so, there is definitely a lot to be learned on like from a scientific perspective about um, the lab leak theory and whether or not it has you know, the origins from the Wuhan Institute of Virology or whether or not it has a zoonotic origin. But I'm curious as to whether or not there's something to learn from a media perspective as well, um, mostly because I've been reading Rostauthit. Um, to the members of the audience who might be unaware, Rostauthit is a columnist for the New York Times. Um, so we posted a response to the lab leak theory that I thought I that I thought was kind of curious. So I'm going to quote it and ask you what you think about. It. One key change to mainstream journalism in the Trump era was the impulse to tell the reader exactly what to think, lest by leaving anything ambiguous, you gave an inch to right wing demagogy. It was not enough to simply report Republican politician X said conspiratorial things. Why? You also had to specifically describe the conspiratorial thing as false or debunked misinformation in a way that would have once been con considered editorializing, so as to leave no doubt in the vulnerable reader's mind. I'm very skeptical that this achieved its intended purpose, but even if it sometimes did, it also created expansive pressures to describe more and more things without any ambiguity and shading and judge more and more right-wing claims preemptively which is only a good rule for a truth-seeking profession if you assume the day will never come when Tom Cotton has a point. When you consider this to be an accurate assessment for the way that certain mainstream news outlets would handle right-wing claims during the Trump era. I mean, it depends on which specific outlets you're talking about. I mean, I think there has this is not simply a Trump era thing. There's been a push in more recent years among media outlets to be more definitive and describing opinions you know there's been this pushback against this both sidesism you know in areas like climate change for instance where people like who espouse things that are contrary to science are given equal weight with the actual scientists and so there has been sort of uh, an incentive to actually look to credible experts and have them weigh in on it and then use that as as the value judgment for a given claim and that's uh, a lot of what happened you know in the early days of the pandemic with with respect to the origins of the disease you know again that's what the majority of the scientists were saying at the time in major journals and like the lancet and nature and science where researchers were saying that they firmly believe that the zoonotic origin um, is the more likely possibility. And, and again, the, the thing to emphasize is that there's no evidence that there's a lab for, for a laboratory leak. There, there just isn't any physical, tangible, anything that they can point to. The only thing is circumstantial, that basically there are gaps in which a lab leak could have occurred. And so when you when faced with that, I mean, I think a lot of journalists, I mean, it's a tricky situation, but I think a lot of journalists have to make a decision one way or another. Like, do you treat these claims with equal value or do you 
weigh in on in favor of one, which um, a lot of scientists and credible experts are are considering to be the more likely possibility. So it, it is sort of a judgment call to be made. I don't think it's necessarily systematic. I mean, arguably, it's one that they got wrong or maybe perhaps were premature. But even now, there are plenty of scientists who do say that, you know, the the discussion around the lab leak is, is something is is something of a media creation as well that basically this is a very grim and remote possibility and that like the fact that it's getting so much attention is is a function of media giving it too much more credibility than it actually deserves all right um that was a very good answer and um umer Irfan, thank you for taking the time to come back to the podcast my pleasure thanks for having me thank you for listening if you like the episode make sure to follow us on spotify Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye.